Good morning. Welcome to the Monroe Church of Christ and our Sunday morning Bible study. We're considering the Gospel of John and have been for a number of weeks now. And we're going to continue that study this morning. I hope you enjoyed uh, the beginning of a new series on our midweek Bible study, which is how we got the Bible. It's a pretty, pretty heady discussion on how this came to be in the form it is in. And uh, I hope that it will strengthen and deepen your faith, as I hope this study has as well, uh, looking at the life of Christ through the lens of the the Apostle John and his um, emphasis on Christ the divine, Jesus, the Son of God, and what that means. And this, this theme that is throughout the, the book is the, uh, the way that uh, there's a transitive property of God's authority and God's power that comes through Christ. And when we are in Christ, we receive an authority and a power as well to spread the gospel and to share the name of Jesus Christ to those uh, who need to hear it. <clears throat> We've been in chapter 16 and we'll continue there uh, as, as we conclude it and move into chapter 17. I just want to back up and kind of give some context to where we are if you're just joining us. Jesus is meeting with his disciples, and John spends a lot of time focusing on what he tells them and what he shares with them in the moments leading up to his betrayal, and then which precipitates a trial and then later his death. And he's sharing with them and opening the door to some of these mysteries and some of these things they've yet to understand and some of these things they need to understand about who he is. Up until this point, it's not clear what his disciples believed that he was going to do, uh, although it seems to be indicated that they weren't quite uh, on board with this idea that he was going to give himself up, that he was going to die, and uh, that he was going to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. And so he talks about, I'm going away for a while, but I'm going to come back. Uh, and, and I'm going to leave you, and I'm going to leave with you a comforter or a helper to, uh, to, to aid you and to, and to walk with you and to carry your burden, the paraclete that we read about uh, in, in these previous chapters. So let's look at what he, we talked about last week. He says, uh, in that day, this is verse 23 of chapter 16, you'll not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. He's talking about going away and what he's going to leave behind for them. And he says, when the time comes, you're not going to have any more questions. Because he keeps speaking to them figuratively. He keeps saying, I'm going to go away and then I'm going to come back. And they're questioning him and they're questioning their belief in what he has to say. And he says, there's going to come a time where you're not going to question this anymore. And he says, I'm going to put this to you plainly. I'm going to say this. I'm just going to come right out and say it because you need to hear it. And and, and he prepares them for what's going to happen. Now, verse 29, the disciples say, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and you are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered each to his own home and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Jesus there kind of throws this back on them. They're saying, well, we believe now. We believe that you are the Son of God. Yes, you said it clearly and we accept it. And he says, well, are you sure? Because you're about to get scattered. You're about to have your whole world turned upside down. 
you are about to be attacked and vilified. You are about to be under threat. You are about to have the world come crashing down on you. And you're going to have to leave. Go your separate ways for a little while. And, and let me do what I'm going to do. But don't worry, because God is with me. And I'm with God. And that's a, a thing he has said throughout this, uh, this book. Verse 33, I love this verse. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage because I have overcome the world. Isn't this world a tough place? Isn't this world a challenging, sad, cruel place? Um, I think for a lot of people who may not have felt that way in the past, uh, the last year, year and some months has shown that uh, it really is a cruel place. You know, I don't know if I ever felt that the world was a cruel and harsh place. I've had a pretty good life to this point. It's been fairly easy. I mean, in the grand scheme, I've had my challenges, my ups and downs, but it's been a pretty nice life. This last year has really been tough with isolation and with changes to just how we live that are so profound. And thankfully, some of that is changing uh, already, but, but boy, it weighs on you. I've heard the phrase COVID fatigue used a lot. Uh, because people are either tired of dealing with it, tired of hearing about it, tired of arguing about it, tired of all the changes that it's brought to our life. Uh, and depending on where you live, some of those have been more profound than others. We've lost loved ones. We've had loved ones become sick. My, I almost lost my dad uh, back in December because of it. And, and, and we're all suffering. We've all been touched in some way by what's gone on. But not even that. I mean, all the things that have come along with that, economic challenges um, and, and just the changes to social order have been hard. But even before that, if we open our eyes, we see this is a world that is cruel and harsh and it's painful. And that's going to really come to bear with the apostles in the coming parts of this story. Uh, because, and really even throughout the book of Acts and throughout their, their, the history of the early church, there is so much trouble for them. As Christians, we are, we are uh, accepting Jesus Christ, but in doing so, we're also accepting a fate in this world that we will forever be outsiders because the gospel of Jesus doesn't fit with this world. It doesn't fit with what the world teaches. It doesn't fit with what the world promotes. It doesn't fit with what our culture or our society uh, emphasizes. We always run counter to the culture as Christians, even in a Christian nation. We find ourselves at odds with the world around us. That can be very difficult. That can be uh, painful. It can be exhausting. But what does Jesus say? I'm letting you know about this so that you will put your faith in me because that is where peace lies, is in Christ. What kind of peace do we find in Christ? Well, in, in the book of Romans, the, uh, Paul writes that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Do you know the, the, the primary conflict in our lives is not even with the world, it's with God. Our sin puts us at war with God. And Jesus says, I'm here, I'm here to, to be your peace treaty. I'm here to bring a ceasefire between you and God. When we are in Christ, we're in p at peace with God. And guess what? That's the only peace that matters. We find peace with, with, not with the world in, uh, in a, a compromising or agreeable sense. We find peace with the world because we look beyond the world. We see something beyond what the world sees. And that's what Jesus says in verse 33. I've told you this so that in me you may have peace. What gives you peace? 
Does your financial security give you peace? Does the security of your family and your relationships give you peace? Is it your career? Uh, do you find peace in your wealth or your prosperity? Do you find peace in your friendships? All of these things can give us peace in different ways, but what is the peace that overcomes everything? What is the thing that allows us to endure the hardships? Because relationships will fail. Marriages fail, friendships fail, you lose jobs, you lose money, um, your security is threatened. All of these things can fail, but what never fails is the love of God shown through Jesus Christ. When we are in him, we are at peace with God and we find peace in the world. But Jesus is clear, I've spoken this so that in me you may have peace. Not even in his words, not in his assurances, but in Christ himself, there is peace to be found. And he admits, in the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. We're going to begin a new series um, on Sunday mornings in our worship hour um, about how we face some of the challenges that our humanity presents in the world. A lot about how we see ourselves and our self-worth and our self-esteem and our self-image uh, and the various ways that we try to cope with the challenges of needing that, that approval and needing that uh, significance in our life. And we're going to talk about it in light of where that comes from, and it comes from God, and it comes through Christ. Battle's been won. The victory has been secured. We have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about, nothing to fret over or suffer because we believe in the Son of God, and He carries us through. He's overcome the world. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so Jesus, uh, we're, we're going to move into chapter 17 now, and we're going to see a prayer that Jesus is offering. Uh, let's begin there. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom he, you have given him, he may give eternal life. So he's, he's praying to God now, and he's asking God to secure some things. One is, is here that he would, uh, that he would be glorified, uh, and he be glorified so that God would be glorified, and that through what he's about to do, eternal life will be given to those who hear him. Verse 3, this eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus there affirms in his own words what John says at the beginning of the book. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Okay? Then the Word was God. That's also an important component of that verse. He says... Okay, God, I have done what you asked me to do. I have followed you. I have, I have glorified you in my ministry. And now I'm about to complete this work. And I pray that I will be glorified in doing this and that in that you will be glorified as well. Jesus is continuing in a faithful exercise of everything he does is reflecting the Father. And he's saying, Lord, as I do this last task... Let that still be true, that what I'm doing will be a reflection of your glory, your power, your mercy. He's wanting everything he accomplishes to be God's. He wants God to have the ownership of what he does. I think that's so important. 
Really, when considering all of Scripture, all of Scripture points us in one direction, to Jesus. And where does Jesus point us? To the Father. He carries us to the Father. He secures our relationship to the Father. And he glorifies the Father even in his own death. And he's asking God to please secure this glorification that in this death, people will see God. I, I remember in, when I was in, in, in school, in high school, I went to a, a, a Christian school. And so prayer was a common thing. And talking about God and about his son was a common thing. And I was influenced, I would say, by um, a few people there, uh, coaches and people who were teachers who led certain organizations who would often pray before events. We had a basketball coach who would always lead us in a prayer before a game, and we would have a prayer after a game. And something he said in those prayers struck me, is that he would say whatever happens out on the court or whatever did happen out on the court, if it was post-game, he said, may, may God be seen in what we do. Uh, and I don't think that he meant, uh, hey, let, if, if we have athletic prowess, let people know that God gave us that athletic prowess. That wasn't his point. He was saying if we receive any accolades, if we receive any glory, if we receive any attention for our performance, then we want God to be glorified in that. We want people to, we want people to see God more than we want them to see our, our basketball team. More than our victories, we want them to see that we love God. And more than our losses, we want them to see that we'll glorify God even then. He was putting in perspective what we were doing. He was putting in perspective for us that this is just a game. This is just a thing we do. We're having fun. We're competing. We're, we're receiving whatever benefits that has for our life. But more than anything, we're learning how to compete and how to, how to carry ourselves as Christian people. And we want God to be seen. And that, that really influenced me. And every time I've been a part of an organization or group, or even in leading groups and organizations, it's been a point of mine to, to pray that prayer. Whatever it is we're doing, whether people like it or they don't like it, or whether the result is good or bad, what we want is them to see that we are operating on a higher level. We're answering to a higher authority. And Jesus is essentially praying the same prayer. What he's about to do is for the glorification of God, and he wants God to be seen through that, and he's praying for that to be the case. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you, for the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. He speaks so highly of his disciples here. He speaks in such glowing terms, and he says, you know, I've done the best I could with, with these that you gave me. And he recognizes that these relationships he has came from God. God handed him these people, and he says, they were yours. They're your creation. They're your children. And you allowed me to have them for a time, and they have come to accept what I am saying is true. And now they go into the world, and I pray that you will be with them. And, and he, he, he talks there about the disciples and continues to use this, this term and this, this phrasing 
of connecting him to God and saying that they're mine and they're yours. They're yours and they're mine because we are the same. We are the same. God and Christ are the same. And the relationship to the apostles is shared. And Jesus says that what they're doing lifts me up. And in so doing, it lifts you up as well, God. And so he prays for his disciples. Uh, Verse 11, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be even one, even as we are. Oh, isn't that wonderful? I mean, it's poetic. It's poetic. If you really understand the theme of the Gospel of John, that Jesus is God. He's the Son of God. He is God. They are one and the same. They are connected. We have the opportunity and the ability to be connected to Christ. If we can, then that also means we can be connected to God. Whatever God says, Jesus says. Whatever Jesus says, God says. What they do, the other one does because they're one and the same and they're connected. And if our goal and our purpose of life is a connection to God, a relationship with God, then it has to come through Jesus Christ because that is the bridge. God dwells in the heavenly realm. He dwells in perfection and righteousness. We dwell in this, in this corporal earthly realm. And we, we dwell in this painful, troubled place. Jesus stands with a foot in either place. He is in the heavenly realm as God. He is in the earthly realm as man. If we can connect ourselves to Christ in this life, then we find ourselves connected to God in a way that lasts to the next life. And so Jesus prays for his disciples, and he says, keep them in your care. Now, remember the unity of God in Christ. And what does he say then? What kind of unity does he want among his disciples? He wants the kind of unity that Jesus and God have. He says that, um, uh, let's back up here. I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your, in your name, the name which you've given me, that they may be one, united, even as we are, God and Christ. Jesus wanted his people to be united in the same way that God and Jesus are united, of one mind, of one authority, of one singular purpose. That is what Jesus is is wanting for us, even, for Christians today. Our unity is of utmost importance when Jesus prayed, and this this looks different than than what... um, what we see in the other Gospels, we see it in the garden, and it's very clear the, the, the place and the time of everything. Here, John is just recording the words because the words matter for John. It's not about the, the, the who, what, when, and where. It's about, it's about what. And what is happening here is Jesus is affirming uh, his connection to God and praying that we will have a connection with him and with one another that will look like that relationship he has with God. Verse 12, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. He's talking about Judas. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. What a prayer to pray 
God, I'm not asking you to remove them from the bad things. I'm only asking you to keep the devil away. Hey, you know, there's a certain amount of pain that we've got to face in this life. And I think implicit in Christ's words, walking this journey with Jesus is a guarantee that we're going to be at odds with the world. I mean, they hated Jesus. The world would not accept him. Um, and those that do accept him find themselves aligned with Jesus in receiving the ire of this world. And Jesus says, and it would have been easy for Jesus to say, make life easy for them, God. That's not God's purpose. That's not his will. Uh, he says, I'm not asking you to, to take away the pain and the suffering of this world. I'm asking you to keep them safe from Satan. Keep them away from the evil one. Keep them away from the accuser, the liar. Keep them away. That's the kind of security we're after as Christians. We're not after security like, like the world defines. We're after a security that keeps us from the evil one. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. That's us. That's us. They told somebody about the gospel. And that somebody told another somebody. And that somebody told another somebody. We are the product of a spiritual family tree that begins right here. As Jesus prays this prayer for us, for those who would come later, for those who would hear their word, those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Why is Christian unity so important? This is what Jesus is dealing with. He wants his disciples to be united, to be one, just as Jesus and the Father are one. And he says, but God, there's going to be others. There's going to be more. They're going to tell others. There's going to be, there's going to be generations of believers who call on my name, who desire a relationship with you. And I pray that they will also have the unity amongst themselves that God and Christ have with one another. And why? Why does it matter that we all are in union? Now, does this mean we all agree on everything? Nope, there is room for us to disagree. Does it mean we're always going to like each other? Not always. Uh, there are definitely different personalities and, and, and different groups that exist amongst Christians. We're going to have our struggles with this. But where does true unity come from and why is it important? Well, the emphasis in these passages as he talks about this unity has to do with Christ and God. So it would seem that one of the keys or the key to true unity is accepting this belief and this confirmation of Christ as Lord. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you want to give your life to him and obey him, then you are his child. You are the child of God. And for the rest of us who believe the very same thing, we must be willing to accept them as children of God as well. Why is that important? Jesus says, so, in the, the very last part of verse 21, so that the world may believe that you sent me. You see, we're a reflection of Christ, right? Christ is a reflection of God. 
Therefore, we reflect God through Christ. Our relationship with one another, as Jesus states in this prayer, is a reflection of our relationship to Christ and therefore our relationship to God. You see, what we do reflects the glory of God and what we do poorly reflects poorly. So unity is important. Why? Because it's a reflection. It's meant to mirror the relationship that God and Christ have. So if I'm not getting along with my brother or my sister and people see that, what they're seeing is a family in disarray. What they are seeing is a family with disunity. What they are seeing is something that threatens really the the truth of God and Christ. If we are meant to reflect the glory of God through Christ, then our unity also is reflection of of God through Christ, the glory of God through Christ. And more specifically, it's a reflection of that authoritative unity that God and Christ have. If we are in disunion, it threatens the truth and the authority of the unity of Christ and God. We are not building the church by fighting. There are some fights that have to happen sometimes. There are some disagreements. We'll see in the book of Acts, if you read through that, hey, they've got plenty of disagreements. They've got to get together sometimes and hash those out. That's fine. But even through that process, they call one another brother and sister. Even through that process, they recognize that we all love the Lord and we're trying our best to serve him in the name of Christ. Our unity is a part of our life and it is a part of a life that reflects the glory of God through Christ. Therefore, our unity says something about the unity of Christ. If we're not in union, then people will never believe that Christ and God are in union. How can they accept Jesus Christ when they see us fighting? That's the reason, so that the world may believe that God sent him. A couple more verses, and then we'll wrap up for this week. The glory which you, this verse 22, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Now, he he essentially is fleshing out what he's just said about the unity being seen in them and being applied to God uh, and, and why that's important. But notice this, how this prayer goes. Jesus is going point by point and naming the things that God gave him. And he's taking those things, Jesus is, and he's saying, well, I took what you gave me, God, and I gave it to them as well. And they're going to give it to others. And in doing so, it is going to build this chain of connection between God and man. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to connect us to God because he himself was connected in God. If we are in him, then we are in God. And he says, the glory which you've given me, I gave to them. The message you gave to me, I gave to them. The word you gave to me, I gave to them. The authority you gave to me, I gave to them. And what I have, you have. And what you have, I have. And now they have it too. And now we have it. Brothers and sisters, we have it. As Christians, the glory and the word and the message and the authority of God through Christ And we can't squander it. We can't squander it by failing to secure the unity that Jesus pleads for in the garden. The unity that we should have to reflect the unity of God in Christ. The unity that we must have in order to share this message, this gospel message with the world around us. We're not seeking peace at all cost. 
We're not seeking peace at all because we know it's not possible for the Christian in this world. What we're seeking are eyes that see beyond the world's definition of peace. We're seeking eyes that show us the glory of God the Father above and beyond the threats and the pain of this world. I hope that you'll join us next week. We're going to press on. We're going to start getting into uh, the trial and, and, and the crucifixion of Christ, and we're going to wrap up the Gospel of John in the coming weeks. Um, I'm going to be gone at the end of this month, and I'm going to be gone for at least one Sunday uh, in late June. Um, we'll see uh, if it's going to be more than that, but we have, um, uh, have some family commitments that are, that are coming up, and then also uh, our camp season is kicking off. The Wisconsin Christian Youth Camp begins on June 20th, and I'll be working it at one of those sessions as well. So uh, look forward to seeing you, and we'll try to keep you updated on any changes. Uh, and then uh, here shortly, you can join us again right here for our worship service uh, around 11 o'clock.